want to turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5. I'll be reading from that again this week. This is kind of part two of uh, what we were looking at. Remember I said we would look at the two questions together, question 64 and 65, last week as well as this week. And instead of looking at for the things forbidden, the things um, required, as, we, as the, the catechism does, uh, we will look rather at last week's superiors and this week inferiors. So let's review the catechism questions that we are um, currently looking at then, the, uh, the, the fifth commandment. I hope all of you would be able to quote the fifth commandment, that uh, you be able to quote the ten commandments. It's very important for us to know them. So uh, let's confess these together, the answer to these questions. Question 63, what, which is the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment is... Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And in question 64, what is required in the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment requireth the preserving the honor and performing the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. Question 65, what is forbidden in the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment forbiddeth the neglecting of or doing anything against the honor and duty belonging to everyone in their several places and relations. I said belong instead of which belongeth. (laughs) It's supposed to be the duty which belongeth to everyone in their several places and relations. Okay, so these questions help us to see the scope of this commandment. As we've seen with all of the commandments, unless you're eager to please God in your life, you won't do right with the commandments. You won't, you won't look at them in the right way. Uh, you, you have to be redeemed by Jesus and have a heart of love for God that the Holy Spirit gives to those who are redeemed. If you don't, you'll look at the commandments in a very wooden and narrow way, a legalistic way, really. The Ten Commandments, you see, are summary statements that God has given us. So they have a huge scope. They're meant to trigger obedience in us to everything that is in any way associated with that commandment and not just what is specifically expressed. Catechism is very helpful in teaching us that. So then with the fifth commandment, that means that when God tells you to honor your father and mother, then you need to think, yes, honoring my father and mother pleases God and it is good. And if that pleases him, it will also please him for me to honor everyone else that has authority over me. Government officials, police officers, ministers and elders, my husband, my employer, I look to see the scope that that would cover when it says honor your father and mother. All of those can be called fathers in those relationships. I can do all this for Jesus Christ, you'll say. It's something that you'll want to do and be glad to do. And also, if, if it pleases God for children to honor their father and mother, then you will say that that means that it pleases him, it must please him for me to be all that I should be as a father and mother. In other words, just because the children are commanded doesn't mean that it's saying nothing to fathers and mothers, how they would live in the 
in that relationship. God wants me to do all that I can to make my relationship with my children beautiful in his sight. That's what he wants here with his commandment. And of course, this applies to every relationship where I may have authority, you will say. He is so good to me and to my children because he has given us his Holy Spirit so that we can do what pleases him. We can will and do what pleases him. Now, last week, we looked at how parents and others in authority are to behave. And this week, we're going to look at how children and others who are under authority are to behave as Christians. And again, as I mentioned already, that I've selected Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15 through 6, 9 for our scripture reading. As we saw last week, Paul has been talking about how different our lives are supposed to be if we are God's people. We're not supposed to be the same as the world. We're supposed to stand out because we walk in the light of God's truth. When we come to, when we come to Ephesians 5.15, he's telling us that we're to understand what God's will is instead of just going along with the world. We have to be deliberately different. So here, let me read it to you from the beginning and, uh, of the passage I mentioned, Ephesians 5.15. This is God's holy word. Ephesians 5.15 See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And then Paul gives three things that we will do if we are indeed filled with the Spirit. It's not what people think sometimes. People think about the, you know, the Pentecostal idea of being filled with the Spirit and you kind of fall over or you roll on the ground or something like that. That's not what Paul is talking about here at all. You see what he's talking about. He tells us with three participles what it means to be filled with the Spirit. How, what happens when we're filled with the Spirit. First of all, the first participle, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So we become those who are are worshipers and delighters in God and who encourage each other to delight in Him. Then the second thing, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's, um, that's the second thing that we do is we become thankful for, for what God has done if we're filled with the Spirit. We recognize God's goodness in our life. And then the third thing that we do is one that Paul talks about for quite a while on into the end of our passage here. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. From here until the end of our reading, Paul goes into three different relationships that involve submission and authority. In each case, he shows us how both the superiors and the inferiors are to conduct themselves in these relationships. So we see here in verse 22, he goes to the first of those relationships with husbands and wives, with marriage. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also 
loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So that's the first of these relationships that involve submitting to one another, where the wife submits to the husband, and you see the duties that are given to each of them. Now we get to chapter 6, and we have the second relationship that involves submission. It also starts with the inferior. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And then moving on to the third relationship that involves submission, it would be the, um, the master and the servant, the uh, employer and the employee, we could say as well. Um, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy and infallible word. So last week I spoke to you about God's overall design for these kind of relationships that involve submission and authority and one person to another. And I spoke to you about how our society it resists this. We, we're an anti-authoritarian society because we don't understand the beautiful way that authority is supposed to be exercised, how it's supposed to function. We think that those who are in authority um, or exercise, only exercise authority, if they exercise authority, it's going to be done in a selfish way and even in an abusive way. So we recoil from the very idea but God has actually appointed those in authority to lay down their lives, as it says so clearly here, sacrificially for those who are under their care. God's design is for his loving care and leadership to be exercised by superiors in a self-sacrificial way. And for inferiors to lovely, lovingly respond to them so that there is unity and harmony in the leader's leadership. Our homes are to be reflections of God's house where the Father loves the Son and the Holy Spirit and gives all to them and then where the Son obeys the Father and seeks to please Him 
and where the Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son and perfectly submits to the Father and the Son in all things. That's ideally what it's supposed to be like. You have, you have a beautiful harmony where the, the family or the, um, the business or whatever it is is working in harmony together under the authority structure that is leading them. It's ideally what it's supposed to be. Of course, we are far from the ideal, but we are to do our part in the, every relationship by God's grace. When you take away authority, then you destroy the proper order of things. When you, like our society, engage in a war against authority. So having seen the role of superiors last week, let's take this week to look at our part what our part is in those relationships where we are under authority, where we're inferiors. In looking at the honor that inferiors owe to their superiors, I'm going to use the very helpful phrases that are used in the larger catechism when it uh, speaks about the duty of inferiors to their superiors. If you want to learn more detail about this, you can go to question 127 in the larger catechism in this sermon series I did a number of years ago from the larger catechism where I've treated this subject in four sermons rather than just one. I go into the different relationships like business and uh, church and, and show how authority and, and submission are to function in these different relationships, parent and child and so on. So um, with that in mind, okay, first of all, you are, and the, these again are from the larger catechism, the, the language I'm borrowing, you are to honor all of your superiors by giving them all due reverence in heart, word, and behavior. All due reverence in heart, word, and behavior. That means that you are to respect them. You can see in Ephesians 5.33 where it tells wives to see that they respect their husbands. Something that wives often find challenging. Women are often good at loving, but they're not so good at respecting. Men are the opposite. They know what it is to kind of respect each other. They kind of have a, you know, guy will kind of respect another guy and that kind of thing. But then when it comes to loving, they're not very good at it. For men, usually loving is boils down to that they didn't do anything bad. <laughs> you know, oh, I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> That's all I think. And women think about, oh, how can we help these people? What can we do for them? It's very, so, so he speaks into our weakness here. <laughs> this is true um, not only of a wife to a husband, but it's also true in all relationships that involve superiors. We have a difficult time with respect. Children are to respect their parents, and we are to respect kings and rulers in our nations. We're to respect the elders of the church and managers at work, all of the different relations. The Greek word that's translated respect in verse 33 is phobeo, and uh, it, we get the word phobia from that word, so it, it means fear. So it's the same word that we saw in verse 21, where it says that we are to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord, phobeo. It's the same word respect that's used in, in verse 33. So what does this all mean? Well, it means that you look at your superiors as those that God has placed over you to shepherd you in whatever area they have been given authority by God. And it means that you realize that it will not go well with you if you do not follow their lead. 
just as it doesn't go well for sheep if they don't follow their shepherd. You fear because you're putting yourself out of the care that God has provided you, the place of his care and protection that he has provided for you, and you fear to do that because it's also rebellion against God and puts him at odds with you as a disruptor of the good order of his creation. You respect then the place that God has given them over you. You respect them. Not always can you do that because of their character, but you respect them because of their God-given position. For example, a judge in a courtroom has God-given authority to sentence you or to sentence your enemies to punish for crimes. So there is a reverence that you are to show because you recognize that their God-given authority over you. God has given them the authority to, to judge. Your parents in the home have been given authority to provide you with your food and clothing. And you don't want to be odds with the, the hand that feeds at odds with the hand that feeds you. A dog doesn't want to start attacking its master, or that's its source of food. That's the idea. They teach you about they, they also are there to teach you about God. If you want to learn of the Lord. Even if they don't do it very well, you're still to respect the place that God has given them and to treat them with respect because of the place that he has given them. The simple fact is that God has given them authority that empowers them to punish or reward you. And it is right for you to fear them. It might help a little to think about the wrong kind of fear. God tells us, for example, in a certain context that we should not fear man. The context is that you should not fear man instead of God. As if man had more authority to do you good or to do you harm than God did. So you see what I mean by that. If, if someone has authority, they have the power to do you good or do you harm. So you fear them on account of that. God has much more. So if you regard God properly, you fear him much more than you fear man. In the same way, you should not respect or fear what the kid next door says to you more than what your mother says to you. And why not? Because God has given your mother real authority over you, God-given authority. The kid next door doesn't have God-given authority over you. So to obey the kid next door is to move yourself out of what God has given you for your care with your parents is to disobey God and to put yourself at odds with God, just to be in harmony with the kid next door. But this also means that if someone in authority, even your parents or the king himself, tells you to do something that is against what God says, then you're not to fear your parents or a king or whoever it is, but you're to fear God. So it all comes down to the fear of God in the end. The reason you fear or respect your husband, parents, elders, governors, managers, and all the rest is because God put them over you. That's why. If you do not respect the place that God has given them, then you don't respect God who put them there. You're in grave danger if you buck against his authority. You are doing on your part what will ruin your society, and your life. 
The respect that you have is to fill you from the inside out. It should never be a mere outward show. It's to well up from within your heart. Now you might be tempted to say, but how can I respect an ungodly father who abuses me? And more than that, with any more than an outward show. And even that would be hard enough to do, to give an outward show of respect. Well, you have already forgotten. What have I said? You are to respect them because of the place that God has given them. Because you respect God. And they are His ministers, even when they don't acknowledge God themselves. You should be like Daniel with King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was an ungodly king. Daniel honored him and revered him before the Lord. The only time he would not obey the king was when the king commanded him to do what God had forbidden or when he, uh, re- when he um, forbade him to do what God required. But even then, <clears throat> he spoke to the king and his agents with respect because he knew that they were God's representatives that God had in judgment placed over him and his people. So the respect and fear should never be a mere outward show because it's toward God. And neither should it be buried deep in your heart where no one can see it. So it shouldn't be just an inward thing either. Some people claim that. Some people will say that they respect their parents or their elders or their husband in their heart. You know, they say, I really do respect so-and-so. Even though I don't ever obey them or regard anything that they say, I have respect deep in my heart. No, you don't. (laughs) Um, Don't kid yourself. If there is respect inside, there will be respect outside. You can have respect outside when you don't have it inside, but it doesn't work the other way. If it's inside, it's going to show up in your behavior outside. You're lying and deceiving yourself otherwise. As it says in Ephesians 5.33, you need to see that you respect them. Now, if that respect is not in thoughts, words, and actions, then there's something missing. Something is not right. It's not real respect that God wants. Okay, secondly, you are to honor your superiors by offering prayer and thanksgiving for them. It doesn't mention that specifically in the passage I read in Ephesians 5 and 6. But if you fear them, as we've just seen, you'll pray earnestly for them. If you fear them the way that I was just talking about, then um, you'll pray earnestly for them in part because you realize that do they do have a huge effect on you. I mean, if, you're, if your dad is a drunkard and he's out um, using all the family funds for his drinking, and stuff, you're going to pray that, that God will work in his life so because it affects you. He's, he's, he's impoverishing you by his, by his laziness and his drunkenness. You recognize that God has put them over you to lead you and to provide for you and to instruct you and that they have power to influence how your life goes. Depending on what kind of authority that God has given whoever it is that's over you. So, of course, it's only, only an idiot would not pray for them. You pray that, that God would use them and work in their life. In, in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, um, we're expressly told to pray for kings and for those in authority. And I tell you, when that command was issued, there weren't very many godly kings around at that time. The reason that we're told to do that is what? That we might live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. Kings have an impact on our lives because God has put authority in their hand. They even have the power of the sword. 
And so it is in our best interest to pray for them that they would be godly, even if they're not. And not only that, but you should also pray for them because you love them and you see that they have a lot of heavy responsibility to bear. So often you think, if only I could be the boss around here, then things would be a whole lot better off. Things would be run rightly if I was the boss. But if you were, you would find out that it's not as easy as you think to lead well when all the pressures are upon you and so on. If they are struggling, pray for them instead of complaining about them. And you're not only to pray for them, but also to give thanks for them. God has put them there for your good to lead you. So give thanks for them. Paul calls us to give thanks even for ungodly rulers in Romans 13. Not because they're ungodly. You don't thank God that they're ungodly. But in as much as they provide order to society. In as much as they do. They do provide some kind of order. And in as much as God uses them in our lives, even if it is to test us, we should give thanks. Didn't Jesus say to rejoice when we're persecuted? What do we find in Acts 4 when they were beaten for preaching the gospel and told not to preach it anymore? They said they were still going to keep on preaching. They told the authorities that, that we have to obey God rather than men. But then when they went back to their brothers, just after they had been beaten, what did they do? They gave thanks that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of the Lord. They were pleased that God had used these authorities in their life to give them an opportunity to testify to the Lord. That's the kind of attitude that we need to have. And, that f- and, and the fact is that there are all sorts of wonderful things that those who are over you do for you that you don't even recognize, even when they're not good people. The reason you don't give thanks for them is because you take all that they do do for granted. You don't appreciate that your parents feed and clothe you maybe. You know, you're just thinking about that they were getting on you because you didn't do your work or some, something like that, and you're all bummed out with them. You don't think about it. They give you food every day. They, give you, they provide your clothing. They correct you when you do wrong. You should be thankful for that. You're not thankful for the way that they instruct you and help you in so many thousands of ways. I mentioned this last week. That's how you learn to talk. God, God has made, there, there's a real authority. You, you don't know what words mean when you're born and you don't know how to use any words. You pick that all up from the authority of those that God has put over you so that you can talk to other people. You, wouldn't, you would have no idea how to do that. It's an authority thing. So, you know, too often you see we're ungrateful. We have complaining hearts instead of thanksgiving. You show honor to your authorities when you thank God for them. And I ask you seriously, when is the last time that you thank God for people that are in authority over you? Do you do that regularly? This is important. Third, you are to honor your superiors by imitating their virtues and graces. Children, what a tremendous blessing it is if you have godly parents that you can imitate. You don't know how much difference it makes to grow up in a home where God is served versus a home where God is not served. Where godly habits and responsibilities and things like diligence and patience and forgiveness and kindness and prayer are just a part of life. I've talked before about the importance of parents kind of having a Christian culture in their home where these things are enculturated in our children. And even if you grow up in an ungodly home as as some of the adults here have done, there are still virtues that you receive from your parents. 
Uh, maybe it's honesty, or maybe it's hard work, or self-control. Maybe there's kindness and care for others, even in someone that has no self-control, but they, they have a tender heart. They look out for other people. There's things that you got from your parents, whoever they were. You can even see this with entire nations. There's a kind of a heritage that you receive from that's passed on from generation to generation, and you're to imitate what is good in that society. One nation is perhaps noted for honesty and integrity, another for very diligent and hard work, yet another for generosity to others. Of course, it goes the other way too. Families and nations can be known for their dishonesty or for their slothfulness. It can be a national characteristic that these are a lazy people. Paul recognized that when he spoke about the Cretans. He says they're always lazy. They're slow bellies. You know, that he, he, he spoke of them that way. Or their immorality or their violence and aggression. There's violent societies that are always cantankerous and fighting. These are vices to avoid. Make the most then of the heritage and the example that you have been given in your nation or in your home. To me, it's one of the most heartbreaking things to see sons and daughters casting off the good things that their ancestors have taken years to cultivate. You can cast them off so easily. In a single generation, a son that comes from a family that has been characterized by honor can, can throw all that away so that his children start from, from ground zero. A church that has been faithful in Sabbath keeping, it only takes one generation to throw that out. It doesn't even take a whole generation. It can be thrown out very, very quickly. And then it takes a long time to build it back. Many of us come from families where the Lord's Day was not honored and we're having to learn to do that and to develop customs and habits and things like that. It is a lot harder than if we had received it as something that it was just the way we do things. Uh, things like church attendance, you know, if family that just, they just go to church because it's time to go to church. You don't sit around and say, oh, I'm going to go this, I don't know what we're going to do, I'll go this week, what are we going to do? But you just say, hey, we're, it's church time, we go to church, just like we go to work, we go to school, whatever it is. That's a wonderful thing if your family is like that. But then why would you drift away from that? Then you pass down to your children something that is, something that is bad instead of the virtue that that you receive from your parents. Sometimes children can grow up resenting the virtues of their parents or their church, especially if other people don't share those virtues. And then they can cast them off. And then they lose them. They lose what their family uniquely had. Don't ever do that. Even if your parents were, were cranky about enforcing some of those things and you kind of have a bad taste about their crankiness about it. Parents shouldn't be cranky, but if they were, don't don't let that spoil it for you. Say, this is still a good thing. This is still something that ought to be in itself. Repent of the crankiness of your parents. Don't imitate that, but imitate the virtue, whatever it is. Paul put it right when he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Maybe you had a parent that crack the whip all the time, keeping you busy working and being diligent. Don't say, I'm not going to be diligent anymore. I'm out of that. No, be thankful for that. But don't be cranky about it to your children.
Sadly, it seems to be easier for us to follow our parents' vices than their virtues. Kids who grow up in a home that's vexed by drunkenness end up being drunkards themselves, even though they hate every minute of the drunken parent. Then they end up being drunkards. Happens all the time. Those in homes full of anger grow up being full of anger. They, they hated it when their parents would be quarreling and yelling at each other. And, oh, I, don't, I hate it when they do. Then they go in their home and they do the same thing. What, what is this about us? We're sinners. Home that's full of worry. Same thing. Children come along and they're big worriers, just like their parents were. Very seldom do those who grow up in a home where there is no prayer or no family worship end up practicing those things. They have to deliberately see that this needs to be done and, and engage in it. It's much easier to cast it off than to put it on. Our flesh gravitates to sin and ungodliness, but we honor our parents when we rejoice and imitate their virtues and not their vices. You can do that by the grace of God who gives what he commands. For you honor your superiors by cheerfully obeying their lawful commands and counsels. Obedience to superiors is fundamental to honoring them. It is emphasized throughout the Bible, even in the passage that we read. Right here in Ephesians 6.1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Of course it's right. If, if you do not do what they tell you to do, you obviously are not honoring them. You break, again, the harmony that God intends His people to have in their homes and in their workplaces and in their churches when you do not obey those in authority. Rebellion destroys unity and working together in sweet concord the working together that we ought to have. It breeds resentment and anger, strife and bitterness, and promotes disorder and disarray. You can see in our text how Paul tells wives to obey their husbands, to submit to them as to the Lord in Ephesians 5.22, and also servants to obey their masters in 6.5. In other parts of Scripture, church members are told to obey the elders of the church. And citizens are told to obey their rulers. Obedience that honors those who are over you has certain characteristics. Let's look at some of these things that are mentioned in our text. The greatest emphasis is that it is to be as to the Lord. Paul actually mentions something along those lines when he speaks about marriage, husbands and wives, when he speaks about parents and children, and when he speaks about the uh, workers and uh, their, their bosses. Uh, with servants, he shows what it means to obey them in the Lord. That He goes into that a bit, doesn't he? He's, and that if you obey them as, you, when you do that, you obey them as you would obey Christ. In other words, when you carry out their orders or their wishes, you're to do it as if Jesus had asked you to do it. You see, they, oh, they're, they're not like Jesus. Well, yeah, but he's the one that put them there, so you you. Obey them with the kind of way that you would obey Jesus. Ephesians 6 6 says, Not with eye service, obedience is not to be with eye service as men pleasers, just doing an outward show, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men. That makes all the difference. I remember having um, 
really nasty jobs to do before, you know, that I was given to do at work or something like that, something that was just kind of miserable, you know, and, and then you, uh, you, you can be resentful toward that. But if you think, hey, I can do this for the Lord. I've been asked to do this by the one that is over me in authority. I can do this for God. And then it becomes something valuable and important. Do it for Christ. That's what it means to obey as unto the Lord, your obedience to your superiors. The kind of obedience, so that's the first thing. The kind of obedience that honors superiors will have certain qualities. So now let's look at some of those qualities and see if your obedience um, is an obedience that honors your superiors. Is it obedience in everything? In Ephesians 5.24, Paul tells wives that they are to submit in everything. Submission does not mean that you obey only when you agree. It's truly seen in those times when you do not agree or when you do not want what you have to do what you've been asked to do. Children, if your mother tells you to clean your room and brush your teeth, and you only clean the room because you really don't like to brush your teeth, you haven't obeyed your mother. Oh, I obeyed. I did, I did my room. No, you didn't. She asked you to clean your room and brush your teeth. You have dishonored her. You, have not, you don't know what it is to submit if you only do the stuff that you like. Second, is it cheerful obedience? If you do what you're told with sighs and groans, that's not the right kind of obedience that God wants. It's not as unto the Lord. That dishonors your parents or your superior. Do it as to the Lord without grumbling and complaining is what we're told in Scripture. Remember how God told Moses that Israel's complaints against him? God said, not against you, but they're complaining against me when they do it. Why? Because Moses had been sent by God. Parents have been sent by God. A boss at work has been sent by God. doesn't matter. They don't have to be godly to be sent by God. They're, they're appointed to that position by God. Third is your obedience timely. In other words, do you do it right away? You, you do not honor your superiors or Christ if you procrastinate, if you get distracted, and even forget what you've been asked to do, which is the worst thing. If you don't go on and get on to it, or at least write yourself a note so that you won't forget then you're showing dishonor that you don't really care that much about what you've been asked to do. Your superiors should be able to count on you. Once they've asked you to do something, they should not need to worry about, oh, I wonder if he's done that. Yeah, I wonder if that will ever get done. Is, is it that way with your obedience? Then that becomes an issue. And fourth, are you eager to obey? You know, when you're looking for ways to please your superiors, this is a way you can honor them. It's so much better for them and for you when you are so desirous to please them that they don't even have to tell you to do something, that you go ahead and do it. Like you notice that the floor is really dirty in the kitchen, and so you get the broom out and you sweep the floor, and your mom never even asked you to do it. You just do it because you see that it needs to be done. Now, you might have to take your mom to the hospital if she has a heart attack because you did this. <laughs> because she's so surprised. <laughs> they swept the floor. I didn't even ask them to do that. But, you know, looking for ways that you can help. Maybe, maybe she's uh, having a really hard time getting everything together when you're going out somewhere and you're just there kind of watching and saying, well, when are you going to come, Mom? Or whatever. And you, you could be in there helping. And uh, you're, you're not thinking about what can I do that will be good in this relationship? What are you doing when you do that? You're making harmony instead of division. 
We all hate division, don't we? Well, this is a way to contribute to harmony rather than disruption of harmony and division. Just do it because it needs to be done. And you know what? You'll enjoy doing it a lot more. If somebody asks you to do something and you haven't done it, then you're kind of, you know, you're going to do it. You're not, you're not real happy about it. But if you, um, if, if you just see that it needs to be done and you go and do it, you're doing it for the Lord and you're, it'll, it'll be fun. Like sweeping the floor will be fun. You know, because you're doing it is a good thing that is going to be pleasing and it's helpful in the situation. So that's what your obedience looks like when you love Jesus Christ. We want to grow in our love for Christ. A fifth way to honor superiors is by duly submitting to their corrections. As Christians, we're those who know that we're sinners, don't we? We've been convicted by the Holy Spirit, and we've seen, uh, yeah, we're, we're sinners. We come short of the glory of God. We know that, and we want to, God has changed our heart. We want to put off the old man and put on the new man. Instead of denying the old man's corruption, we, we recognize it. We say, yep, there's a lot of sin there, and I need to change and God gives us the grace because we're forgiven through Christ and we have the Spirit. He gives us the grace to go forward and to, and to really endeavor to change. We know that there's forgiveness. We know that there's the Holy Spirit to work in us. Because this is so, then, we want to be corrected. You know, we pray to God, do we not, as Christians, that he would show us if there is any wicked way in us? Well, what if he uses someone else to do that? Oh, then it's a little bit harder, isn't it? We'd rather God just tell me directly. Don't, don't use my parents or, or don't use my boss at work or anybody like that. My boss tells me I've been lazy at work. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like that and I think he's, he's being unreasonable or whatever. But uh, we, need to, we need to welcome that kind of thing. It's not going to destroy you to, to, have, uh, to have this. It will actually help you. Our parents and other superiors are very good actually at correcting us. It's one of the reasons that God put them over us. I mean, what if, there were no, what if there was no one in authority at all anywhere? It'd be a mess, wouldn't it? Can you imagine the, the chaos and the disharmony that would be going on? A manager at work will correct you, like I mentioned, if you're being lazy, or even if you're just doing something in the wrong way. He'll say, no, don't do it like that. Do it like this. Well, you can learn something, can't you? And you can help his business that way. You should be thankful for those corrections and submit to them. And what if you're speeding down the highway and an officer stops you? I've had to repent for whining about complaining for that kind of correction. We may not always agree with all the rules, but even when Jesus and his apostles were persecuted for preaching righteousness, they received that punishment patiently, like I've already mentioned. And they thank God for it, though they respectfully refused to comply with the orders that were contrary to God's word. And if the elders point out some way that you're being negligent, don't resent it. God has appointed them to do that. And you know, it encourages elders when they do go and speak to you and you welcome it. They're going to be more likely to speak to you again. So I don't want that. No, you should want that. You should be glad that they're, they're there to help you. But if you push them away, they're going to be a little bit more hesitant to, well, to see if it's really a big thing. Maybe we'll see if they change or whatever. Maybe they shouldn't do that, but that's going to be the inclination. So welcome their corrections. Let them know that you want to be corrected and make a diligent effort to change. And it will encourage everyone. You know, even if it's something like uh, coming to church on time, uh, which is something that I have been uh, talking about lately in our church, that we have a problem with that. We need to listen to that, that correction. In 2 Corinthians 7, Paul speaks about how uneasy he had been 
when he corrected the Corinthians. He feared that they would reject him. But he tells them how very thankful he was when he saw how they repented. He was kind of uneasy because he'd said stuff and he thought, okay, these guys are going to get mad. They might reject me and turn away from me. But instead, the Corinthians made it very clear that they really didn't want to change. If you read uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 7, you can see that. They didn't want to make a half change. They went all out to clear themselves of the wrong that they had been doing. They honored Paul as a servant of the Lord. When we're talking about the fifth commandment, they honored the apostle that had been put over them. So consider what a wonderful thing it is to have godly parents who correct you. They keep you from going on in your sin. They call you out on it. Would you want to go on and on in your sin and for it to get deeper and deeper and to spread more and more? They may not always do it in a, general, a gentle way, but you should be thankful that God has used them to correct you. Even ungodly parents correct their children. And this makes the world a better place, doesn't it? How you ought to welcome correction. I wonder, have you ever thanked your parents or other authorities for this? Even you who are adults, have you ever thanked your parents for the corrections that they gave to you when you were growing up? Or even now, when your parents maybe say something to you that they feel like they need to say? Just think of all the ways that your parents have corrected you over your lifetime. Perhaps there were even things that they tried to instill in you that they were not successful about because you were so stubborn. Maybe now it's time to repent and tell them, you know, you always tried to teach me this and I never listened. And I realize now that I need to, maybe, you're, maybe you're six years old and you need to do that. You know, you've sinned against not only your parents, but against God in that way. Sixthly, you honor your superiors by being loyal to them. And this is the, the last one that we'll take up. Uh, loyalty begins with fidelity or faithfulness. A loyal soldier is a soldier that his commander knows will be true to his calling as a soldier to his captain or whoever he is. He will be faithful even when his life is in danger. Like he won't turn back on the battlefield if he's told to go and pursue that place and to do it until the very, even to death, then he'll go and do that. He won't turn back. In Psalm 127, children are described as arrows that are in their father's quiver. You know, that he has arrows there. What does an arrow do? It extends a person's reach. In other words, I have an enemy that's over there. I can get him with an arrow from where I am. I, I reach into a place that I couldn't reach with my hands. The arrow goes to that place to do the, the work that needs to be done there. That's what children are like for godly parents. It can be an arrow that sends also something good, something that needs to be brought. Parents who love the Lord delight in seeing their children grow up and go out into the world extending the parents' influence for Christ. Seeing your children going in places that you are not, that are even away from you, that are then promoting the things that you sought to instill in them. So see that you're not a disloyal, crooked arrow that goes contrary. Then you're not extending what your parents have, the good things that they have given you. You're bringing twisted and corrupted things. 
Wives are to do this for their husbands too. Proverbs 31 speaks of the virtuous woman whose husband is honored in the gates because of her. His heart safely trusts in her. She's not going to break down the agenda that he has and try to undo it and unravel it. She's going to engage in that agenda with him and promote that. Employees are to do this for those that they work under. Be loyal to your manager so that they can count on you. See that you advance the good name of the company that you work for. That's something that we've lost in our society. We talked about things that were societal things. That used to be something that was understood. If I work somewhere, I'm supposed to be loyal to that company. I'm supposed to do my part. Like if I'm working at a restaurant or something, I'm supposed to be one who tries to give them a good name rather than a bad name by how I conduct myself. And the one who hired you has a certain way of doing things. Maybe they want the counters to be very clean all the time, whatever it is. Then you're looking to promote that rather than resenting it and saying, why do they always want to clean the you know, you're, you're there engaged in, again, unity and bring, doing things that in a loving way, in a way that honors those in authority. Loyalty to your superiors is an attitude that fleshes itself out in all sorts of ways. It causes you to defend your superiors. Children, if you honor your parents, you won't let people speak ill of them. You won't let people trash them. You might get help from an elder or a pastor if you um, have something going wrong with your parents. They're doing something wrong. But you won't get a thrill out of going and trashing your parents to everybody else, telling your friends, look what my mom did, and going on like that. That's not... It's not appropriate trying to get people to confirm with you how bad they were. Yeah, that's terrible. Why, why would they do that? And they start going on like that. It's not appropriate at all. And wives, you won't get together with other women to trash your husband. Uh, sometimes women's prayer meetings are trash husband meetings. That's not what they should be. If you need to get help from someone in authority in a church, an elder or something like that for your marriage, then go and get that help. But don't go to prayer meeting just so you can talk about all the bad things that are going on. Oh yes, all in the name of prayer, of course. No, that's not appropriate. You will arise to the defense of your superiors when they are misrepresented. David would not let people speak against King Saul even though Saul was his enemy. He refused to give in to the kind of self-pity that gathers a bunch of sympathizers around to talk about how bad Saul was being to him. Look at poor David. Look at how I'm being abused. Look at how I'm being mistreated. David wouldn't do that. Instead, he reminded everyone that Saul is God's anointed. Do you remember what Ham did when his father Noah got drunk and lay naked? Ham thought that was, he gloried in that shame. He thought, oh, look, look at that, look at that. And he he called his brothers in. But Shem and Japheth literally covered their father's shame. That was the right thing to do, not glory in his shame. Of course, and, and that affected Uh, Ham's descendants after him, the way he behaved. You see, Shem and Japheth did the right thing. Of course, there are times when it's your duty to report your superiors to their authorities. If if they're not repenting of their sins, they're doing some crime or something like that. Sometimes you might need, as I say, to go and talk to the elders or or to other authorities. But as a general rule, you're not to publish them especially not to those who are not in authority over them. And don't allow yourself to resent them for their faults. 
you have plenty of faults for your own. Remember what the Bible says about judging, that you, you don't want them to judge you with the same rigor with which you judge them. Be careful about that. Don't go holding them to perfection unless you want God to hold you to perfection. And closely related to this, true loyalty will cause you to uphold the authority of your superiors when it's attacked. Maybe your parents have a stricter rule about something than other families, like stuff that they don't want you to watch, uh, movies that you don't want you to watch, or, or things like that. What should you do? Or maybe the use of the internet, you know, they've got stricter rules about that. What should you do if your siblings are complaining about it? Or if your friends are complaining about, your parents are so unreasonable, like why do they, my parents don't care if I do this. You're to honor your parents by defending them. Wives are to do that for their husbands. Christians at work or in the nation are to honor authorities in the same way. Loyalty of the heart will also cause you to maintain your superiors. You will provide for them financially. Citizens are to pay their taxes, Romans 13, 7. Employees are to provide faithful work for those that hired them. Wives are to maintain their homes for their husbands, Proverbs 31, 10. Church members are to support their members, ministers, 1 Corinthians 9, 14. Children are to provide for their parents in their old age, 1 Timothy chapter 5. You're also to seek to maintain, not only to maintain their estate, but also to maintain their happiness. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. Proverbs 10.1 It is striking to read Proverbs and to look for all the Proverbs that speak about this. That you actually have a duty, according to Proverbs, to make your parents or those in authority over you glad. We don't think about that. You're supposed to endeavor to make them happy. And we, we don't even think about that as a category, but it's all through Proverbs. Church members are to make glad elders. Wives are to try to make glad husbands. Godly loyalty will make you want to make them glad, and it will cause you to behave in a way that makes them glad. And it really does make a difference. You see parents that are brokenhearted, often because of their children. Their children have broken their heart. It's very important before God. Brothers and sisters, there I have given you six ways that you are to honor those who are over you in authority. You can only do this when your eyes are on your Redeemer. When you recognize that He is the one who gave you your parents and other authorities. Yes, we're in a fallen world and these leaders are not always going to be all that we could want them to be. But you can do your part in making the world a better place the way it ought to be on your part by honoring them because of the place that God has given them. Even if they don't recognize that God has given them that place, you can recognize that the way Daniel did when he was with ungodly leaders. If you do not do this, then you'll be found fighting against God. You have a Savior who is ready to forgive you and help you. So in your weakness, come to Him and He will help. Let's do that now. Let's come to Him. Please stand and let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us, O Lord, that we would learn to live 
according to the fifth commandment in all of our relationships. Whether we are the one who is in authority or the one who is under authority, the superior or the inferior, we pray, Lord, that we would be diligent to do all that we can in that relationship to make it a relationship of harmony. That, Lord, we would learn to, to honor those that are over us in authority because we honor you, Lord, because you're the one who is over all. And you're the one who can give, put those authorities, you have put those authorities over us. You're the one that can take them away. You can raise one up and put another down. And so, Lord, we come to you, looking to you to help us. Please, Father, do forgive us because we certainly do come short in this. And sometimes we're puzzled about even knowing exactly how all of this is going to look. But we get the overall idea here from your, your word is very clear to us about the nature of this honoring and this obedience, this submission, this loyalty, these things, Father, help us then to to implement these things in our lives, and then we'll gain more clarity in the things that are shadowy or, or hard to understand. We thank you, Lord, for the examples that we have in the scripture of those who are godly, even of our Lord Jesus Christ, who even showed respect to Pontius Pilate, and who honored him when he stood before him under trial, and who told him that his authority had been given to him from heaven, and that he could have no authority if it had not been given him from from heaven, but that it had been. And we see how that uh, he is such an example to us. We remember even when he was a boy, how we're told that, that he submitted to his parents when he was about 12 years old. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to follow the example of our Lord Jesus. He is the ideal example. We see how he also submitted to you as your son, even in coming here to die on the cross for us and leaving glory to come here at your command and your call. We thank you that he did it cheerfully and gladly. He, he, he poured himself into the cause that you had of redeeming your people. He was desirous to do that also. And so he did it most willingly and most cheerfully, though it was a very difficult and very hard thing for him to accomplish. We thank you, Lord, for all of the mercy and the goodness that you show to us when we do come short, for the patience that you have with us. But Father, help us not to abuse that patience and gentleness. Help us, Lord, to endeavor to be filled with the good fruits that you have called your people to have. For we love you, Lord. We've seen today in our, in our sermons that with the Song of Solomon, we've seen the great love that the Lord Jesus has with us and how he wants us to live beautifully in his house. We pray that we would show that we want to live beautifully in his house by living beautifully for him now as we're on the way to that glorious house. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord's blessing. May the Lord your God be with you as he was with your fathers. May he not leave you nor forsake you that he may incline your hearts to himself to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and judgments which he commanded your fathers. Amen.
blessing from generation to generation.